Hi friends, my name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie podcast, SheCast episode 53. And I'm on with a friend that I have yet to meet in real life, Greg Williams. And I'm so excited. I Listeners, you know kind of my methods for getting people on the show. And so sometimes I tweet people, sometimes I e- like inbox them, other times I use other people to connect me to them. And so that's what happened here with Greg. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be here. Awesome. So, Greg, for people who don't know you, how would you describe yourself in your own words? <laughs> um, well, I am on the East Coast in Connecticut. I'm uh, 33 years old. I got into recovery when I was 17 uh, after struggling with um, opiates and, and other drugs for a long time and uh, have been involved in... Uh, recovery advocacy, I guess, since since that journey began and um, over the last 10 years or so, just, you know, trying to um, work hard on, on addiction issues from, from various angles. I'm a passionate storyteller, uh, feel the, uh, the power of, of the human story and creative mediums to tell that story in and have sort of found a niche myself as access and storytelling in the recovery movement. Um, so that's kind of me in 30 seconds. Uh, certainly happy to share more in depth and, and whatever ever uh, interests you. Awesome. So friends, he's being very humble, A. Um, that's probably from him being in recovery for, what is it, 14 years? 17? 15. Yeah, 15? Okay. That's awesome. Such a big deal. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, I didn't do it alone. That's for sure. For took sure. A, took a village and a family and a community and a healthcare system. And in spite of the criminal justice system. Totally. Yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. I like that. Um, you said in spite of the criminal justice system. What does that mean to you? No, it was just, I mean, for me, I, you know, I was Blessed. I mean, out of fear of the criminal justice system is partly why I um, am here. But, you know, it's just the injustices of, of how we deal with, uh, um, you know, a, a healthcare issue, you know, with, with the criminal justice system. And, and we think that people are going to get better or, or we think morality, uh, imposing morality on, on others is, is going to change the addiction issue. And, you know, we've tried that for really hundreds of years uh, and certainly have have um, expanded that attempt in the last 30 or 40 years and and it just um, it really hasn't worked at, at the population level and and certainly uh, um, you know it's just the wrong approach it's a square peg in a round hole to deal with you know what is a really complicated challenging public health issue but um, people who become addicted to drugs certainly uh, cause public safety concerns. And so it's, it's a delicate balance of, of that. Um, but how we've used that system in, in ways has, uh, has killed people and, and certainly stolen people from other people's lives and, and certainly has cost us all a lot of money that, that is, uh, more or less being flushed down the toilet. Um, you know, money not being well spent. Totally true. Yeah. I had another guest on who, was just talking about kind of the numbers in terms of people who are affected 
um, within the American population by drug addiction and alcoholism, and then what happens when these same people recover, you know, and how the community is affected in a different way, which is something that you have managed to highlight in various settings through, as you mentioned, the art of storytelling and, you know, finessing um, and creating a space, I guess, for people to feel comfortable to share who they are with others. And so can you tell us a little bit about, there are a couple of films that I've seen, and I don't know of any more that you've done, but um, tell us kind of about The Anonymous People and then Generation Found. Yeah, yeah. So um, part of uh, what happened to me was just meeting some people who who inspired me, who um, were out there telling their stories and were advocating not for sort of personal gain or publicity, but really for public good and something I never had done as an individual in recovery. I, um, my first five or six years of recovery, I kind of did a lot of uh, work individually with young people and trying to help them kind of below the radar uh, in those ways and, and kept running into the system challenges time and time again. And so... Um, I met these folks in that journey who were, you know, advocating on a national level and, and was inspired. And then I had gone to school for filmmaking. And um, I remember a teacher distinctly telling me that uh, charismatic subjects is the key ingredient to documentaries. And, and I thought that these recovery advocates uh, who, were, who were out front doing something 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, before it was kind of more mainstream than than it was um we're leading the charge and and in a in a powerful way so i i was blessed to to have a couple mentors who linked me to a lot of people and i started pointing a camera at them with the idea that i was uh gonna make a film about social justice issues and how this emerging movement uh could become a constituency of consequence if um they organize themselves and so the anonymous people uh, was a journey. I mean, it was an f- independent film that started on Kickstarter, really, uh, in July of 2012, and, and I tried to raise um, $45,000, and, and the recovery community came to the table and ended up uh, raising, you know, over 85000 on that campaign. And then, wow. And then uh, we met some philanthropists and, and were able to fund uh, a feature film that... Um, you know, today is, is, is out there and still getting viewed, which is, is, is incredible. And I, you know, we had no money to distribute it or anything like that. And it was, it's the, the power and the reach of the recovery community really took that film and, and started showing it in different communities and, and using it to inspire others to join grassroots efforts. Um, and so I, um, uh, so that film really covers the story of, of the history of the advocacy movement um, and folks like Marty Mann and Harold Hughes and, and people who had been doing this work back in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And then I uh, uh, covered a bunch of individuals and organizations that um, are doing incredible work now. And, and I was just blessed to be able to kind of put it together and give voice in a platform uh, that most of these individuals had never 
had before in film. So um, it was, you know, a really thrilling experience and, and certainly uh, put me in the middle of, of various convening roles and, and one uh, community that surfaced um, to me after, while making that film was, was this high school community, this high school recovery community and youth alternative peer group community. Um, Cause I got into recovery when I was 17 in Connecticut and we didn't have any youth recovery supports for them at that time. Uh, we barely have had any youth treatment even. And um, so that film generation found was really uh, kind of stemmed out of my interest and in, in, in fascination uh, with the Houston model and what they were doing in Houston, Texas. And so Jeff Riley, who is uh, uh, the co-filmmaker and editor of, of both films, teamed up and, and we went down to Houston and uh, started telling the story of, of, of young people in Houston, Texas who, who weren't, uh, you know, after they got out of treatment, but um, in these schools that were supporting recovery and keeping them alive and keeping them out of jail and um, and so Generation Found is it was just released last year and uh, is still traveling the country and still um, getting out there. We actually just launched it digitally so people can see it now um, from the comforts of their home if, if they want. So powerful. That movie had me or that film had me in tears at the end and I'll tell you it's because you just identify in such a way um, and you convey the story and you want these kids to succeed. You just are rooting for them, right? And it goes back to what you were saying about community and it taking a village and that you didn't do recovery on your own. You still don't, you know, you're connected. And that's what happened for me. I just connected with these kids. I mean, students that are young enough to be my children, you know, um, some of them, some of the younger ones, but, um, (laughs) actually probably all of them. (laughs) Um, but just, it was so powerful and uh, humbling to see, you know, the fault, because it's not, every story isn't perfect, right? But just hearing this story, um, because I think one theme that came out of the anonymous people that seems to be a theme that ran through Generation Found is that if someone doesn't relay or convey their own or share their own story, a story will be made, you know, um, someone will make up a story about the person or someone who's in recovery or, you know, someone with mental illness or whatever the case may be. And so that's one of the reasons it's so important to, you know, have these films out. Um, so I'm glad that you all have released it digitally. So tell us a little bit about kind of how you move through did facing addiction where did that come into play with filmmaking yeah so um uh you know when i was out there screening anonymous people in 2014 and um you know at the end of the movie people would be all fired up we you know we highlight the hiv aids movement we highlight the breast cancer movement um 
we highlight these big movements and these big ideas of organized people who who got together and pushed on on entrenched systems to to change uh, the environment for millions of people. And so we paint this picture of 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 how the recovery community and individuals and families of loss and and people struggling, you know, could come together and attack at a system level some of the dysfunction. And, um, you know, so people would say, well, how can I help? What can I do? And at that time, we were just, you know, I was an individual filmmaker. Uh, there were some fragmented groups around the country. And, um, you know, I would say, well, you could you could help open a recovery house or, or a community center in your town, or you could join a board of a treatment center, or, you know, those kinds of things. But invariably, it wasn't it wasn't big enough for people. I mean, people were like, "Well, where's the pink ribbon? Where's the where's the march on the mall? Where's the, you know?" They were looking sure. for that stuff. And so organically, I, you know, some of the people in the movie and myself and we started talking, and it was 2014, and we said, "Well, you know, uh, 2015 could be our year. It wasn't an election year." Um, could we do this? This wasn't an original idea. I mean, I, I interviewed a hundred people for that film and probably, uh, uh, you know, 80% of them said a march on the mall was, was their vision, their dream, their hope, their aspiration. And so, you know, out of the film as an organizing tool and, uh, lots of incredible support from, from various foundations and individuals, uh, we started planning for, uh, you know, a rally on the National Mall on October 4th, 2015. And, um, and I met a guy named Jim Hood, who's, who's a father who lost his son. And, you know, Jim uh, heard about kind of what we were doing. And, and uh, you know, he thought it was great. He was like, you know, that's a that's a big deal to, to organize and, and go to the mall and all of that. But, um, but what's next? You know, how do you sustain it? How do you build an ongoing movement? How do you, what's the plan? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And he came from the business world. And so he got behind and, and wrote a business plan. And, and so we came together and it came kind of organically with 700 organizations. Uh, on October 4th, we launched Facing Addiction um, as a national platform for these grassroots groups uh, and larger groups who, who are focused in one domain of the addiction space. So lots of nonprofits out there who are working in the prevention space or the treatment space or the research or the advocacy or the recovery space, but not stitching it together necessarily under one kind of simple identifiable platform uh, similar to other health conditions where if I asked you about heart disease, you know, and I said, have you ever been solicited or have you ever uh, supported an organization for heart disease? I bet you 99% of the people listening to this would have the same answer and the same response. And if I said the same thing about cancer, 99% of the people would say the same thing and ALS and diabetes and autism and so on and so forth. But with addiction, you'd have uh, probably 80% of the people who, who would say, oh, that's a really big issue. We should do something. I want to help out. But you'd have about 15 to 18% of those people who'd actually know of any existing nonprofit organization that is tackling that issue. Um, it, or where to plug in. And I think that's the disconnect that we're trying to make uh, and that vacuum we're trying to fill with facing addiction is is provide that platform for people to plug in, join together, so our voices can be collective and not fragmented in whispers and, 
different ways. And so, uh, so that's what we do, and and that's kind of how it came about. And I'm blessed every day to um, join together with thousands and thousands of people across the country, and and try to sustain a, a growing movement of of individuals, families uh, who care about this issue, and and uh, who want to see um, progress made on lots of different fronts. So awesome. So if someone is interested in helping, right? through facing addiction, um, and we'll get to money shortly, but where are there tangible opportunities? Yeah, so great question. So we have a, a number of different things. Um, so first, I would say, you know, if people are just checking it out or if they have their own story of why they care about addiction issues, um, we just launched an, an incredible series called the Voices Project, People Facing Addiction, and we're soliciting people's stories just, you know, for no other reason but to, to raise awareness and uh, uh, help people um, understand uh, that there are real faces and real people behind uh, all these death toll numbers and, and the opiate crisis and all of that stuff. So um, we are... Uh, asking for people to send us their stories. Um, that's, that's something that they can do. They can type up a story. Um, and if they, you know, want help with that, we can help them try to tell their story and get that out there for them and, and reach uh, a great number of people. We have something called the Facing Addiction Ambassador Program, which is uh, a growing list of digital advocates and people who are willing to, uh, call Congress, uh, folks and, um, uh, other, uh, um, People, uh, you know, take other actions who are who are advocates, uh, and then if you're part of an organization locally, um, we have something called the Action Network, and we now have over 600 some odd organizations who who have joined together in this Action Network, and um, we are, uh, you know, asking other organizations to endorse the platform and come together and bring their constituencies to the table um, to endorse, you know, the platform and provide us feedback and kind of connect with all these other organizations doing similar work across the country so that people can be as efficient. You know, there's, there's so many, so few resources in this space. And, and, uh, you know, we see so much of that reinventing the wheel kind of thing on the ground level, you know, a, a little foundation starts up or, you know, what kind of thing and, and, um, um, all those things. And, um, you know, it's just, we want to provide, tools and resources and technical assistance for organizations so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel and they can learn about best practices and they can be part of, of national calls to action. So, um, so I think that, uh, you know, those are three ways that people can, can, uh, um, jump in. Awesome. And then they can also donate. Yes. All this does take money, unfortunately, uh, or well-heeled social justice movements, uh, well-organized social justice movements are also well-heeled. So um, there's a reason, people, why uh, the climate change movement is is as active and loud and organized as, as they are. There's a reason why the ACLU uh, is as effective as it is with civil liberties. There's a reason these things are, are the way they are, and it's because individuals, foundations, uh, and companies have gotten behind uh, those causes. And so 
we can't just dream about the pink ribbon or the AIDS quilt. We actually have to do what those movements did uh, to get to those places um, if, if we're going to move that forward. And so, yes, uh, Facing Addiction um, will uh, gladly accept any contributions people um, are able to make, but also uh, partner with them for the long term to, to uh, make sure that their impact is, is uh, well-founded. Awesome. So, friends... I, it's facingaddiction.org, correct, Greg? Yep, yep. Awesome. And there's a huge donate button when Ivana was on here. So Ivana and Greg are dear friends, of, um, and they work together at Facing Addiction. And so when she was here on the podcast, I donated during the podcast recording. So I'm imploring you to donate because the button's huge. It says donate. <laughs> you cannot miss it. So well, hit the button. Go ahead. Not- a splash page up now so you got to click continue to okay. Facing and then you see the big green donate button or you can just go to facingaddiction.org backslash donate too that works whatever works or just you get yourself Facebook or through Amazon smile or you know whatever else you choose <laughs> to do in your life uh, we have multiple channels that people can uh, uh, send contributions through that's right um, so there's that um, Greg Question for you. Yep. What is a story, and you don't have to, I mean, so as not to spoil it for someone if they haven't seen any, either one of the films that we discussed, what's a story, or even something that hasn't been filmed, that has kind of stuck with you, um, that relates to your why and the reason you press on? And it can be your own story as well. Just inspiration. But something that's kind of, sticks with you I mean mine's really you know it's pretty simple I, I um early in my recovery I you know my first six years of recovery I went to six wakes in six years and of young people my age from my grade um and you know they they told me leaving treatment, and this was a lie, but they told me leaving treatment that there was no luck in recovery, that I needed to take these actions, and if I took these actions, I would, I would, you know, uh, I would do okay. And on one hand, they were right uh, in, in, in that I put in the footwork once I, once I got the access to healthcare, once I got the access to that message of recovery, if I put in the work, I could have that life and I do have that life and I'm grateful for that life. However, there are so many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of individuals who never get an opportunity, never even know about uh, the opportunity that recovery offers, have no role models of people in recovery, have never contemplated uh, recovery, can't afford treatment, can't access treatment, incarcerated because Mm -hmm. of their health problem. or they overdose, you know, before they ever find a way out. And so, uh, I think for me, it's, it's, um, I was tired of asking myself, why me, you know, why, why do I get to live and breathe and have a beautiful family and, and, and live this life today? And, and, you know, um, you know, that's the wrong question for me today. It's, it's, it's why not others, you know? And, uh, and I think that's what for me, kind of, uh, you know, drives me and, and, uh, continues the fight is just, 
you know, knowing that there are so many others who are facing this injustice and, and need to be um, loud and, uh, you know, we can't tolerate it. We wouldn't tolerate it for other health problems. And so we shouldn't tolerate it for addiction. And, uh, um, and this issue has, you know, I mean, it's just impacting our communities and, and probably, you know, unbelievable ways and, and, you know, economic ways and, and human ways. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a big issue. I like challenges. <laughs> so I guess that's part of it too. It's, it's not easy. That's for sure. For sure. Anything else that you want to tell us or something that is really important for people to know about, um, substance use disorder, some people call it addiction, some people call it alcoholism, that is either like questions that people are asking that we shouldn't be asking. Um, I can name a few, but you're the guest. (laughs) Or things that people just aren't considering. Because one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I, like you, have some things that are really important for me and I want to bring more awareness. And substance use disorder is one, mental illness is another, and domestic violence and sexual assault is another. And so there are oftentimes people, they mean well, overwhelmingly people mean well, but um, sometimes they don't. And they ask questions that aren't really productive questions or they you know, behave in a way that's counter to what's really helpful or what the situation warrants. And so as a recovery advocate, um, what are some things or what are, you know, what are some questions that people are asking that maybe we need to steer clear of and ask different ones? Or what are some common myths that um, people have about addiction? Well, it's a great question. I, you know, um, there's a lot, obviously. <laughs> uh, one that I, I went on a soapbox and I wrote a blog a couple of years ago still continues to, to really baffle me today is, is, you know, just this argument about whether it's a disease or not. And it's, and it feels like it's such a waste of time sure. uh, for us to be having this debate over, uh, whether or not we think addiction is a disease or not. I mean, you know, we have the Surgeon General's report, and, and, and for whether you, you want to believe that or not, it's irrelevant. I mean, this is this is a leading driver in our economy. It's a leading driver of cost to our economy, a, a, you know, a leading driver of fatalities, a leading driver of our criminal justice system, healthcare costs, and so on and so forth. So, so whether or not you think it's a disease or not, it's costing you a lot of money. And whether or not you like the people who it impacts or not, it's still costing you a lot of money and it's impacting you. And so I think it's it's the, the question we should be asking is how do people get well and how do people stay well, uh, regardless of, of what we want to characterize it as. And and I think that's uh, something that people have struggled for, for decades and decades. And so I just, I wish we could move past that debate. The other one that's interesting you mentioned for me is, 
is we do a lot for, you know, domestic violence and we rally around the victims of domestic violence and foster care and we have large foster care system. Uh, you know, even poverty has, uh, you know, certainly we, we have horrible poverty in this country. But um, when you start to peel the layers of, of domestic violence and foster care and poverty and some of these larger issues, uh, well, I shouldn't say larger, some of these issues that we focus on as a community, um, alcohol and drug use is at the core of a lot of these issues. Sure. 85% of all foster care uh, is, is alcohol or drug related um, in the family. Um, you know, domestic violence, something like 80% of all domestic violence happens under the influence of alcohol or other drugs. Um, so, I, I mean, these things are astonishing to me how, you know, we can rally around some of these, what I'll call tertiary issues, but, but have yet just that we're overdue getting, getting to the core, you know, getting to the core of some of these problems and really tackling the core. And, and, you know, people always talk about, well, you have to get the root of the problem if, if, if you want to solve it. Um. Well, if we want to solve some of these really challenging issues, um, we've got to get to the root of why people uh, drink and use drugs and, and feel uh, the need to. And for those that have a problem, and it's not saying that some people can't drink and use drugs and uh, do it and still have productive lives and, and be fine. And there's a great number of people who do that. Um, but we have to understand that some people uh, aren't going to be able to do that without consequences, and they're not going to be able to do that uh, without having challenges. And, and so we just have to get honest about that and have to start looking at it. It's not pretty. It's not easy. But I think it's something that we just have to start to, to, to peel the layers of the onion and start looking at and, and start to start to really just say, yeah, you know, this, you know, domestic violence or foster care or poverty, you know, yeah, alcohol and drug use. Let's, let's start working on that. And, and then uh, maybe we'll get to solving some of the, uh, save some lives, uh, you know, on, on some of the unintended outcomes of, of uh, alcohol and drug use. That's right. I, I appreciate that. And um, one of my favorite authors, Glennon Doyle, she mentioned in a Instagram post not too long ago, she said, there is no such thing as other people's children, you know, and it goes back to your thoughts at the start of the time. Uh, our conversation is that you do recovery and you got sober um, because you did some work, you know, um, you had some sort of spiritual connection, it sounds like. And from there, you were connected to other people, you know, and a community was around you. And so you weren't just, you know, you weren't someone else's child, you were part of the community, you know, and so to your point, until we start looking at this as a common issue, that may not personally affect someone who's listening, yet it does affect us collectively. So Thank you for sharing that. Anything else, Greg, that you feel really compelled to get out into the world? <laughs> just, I mean, I, I, I've poured my heart and soul into to both uh, those films, that, you know, the anonymous people and Generation Found. So if people are looking for those, 
uh, and want to learn more, um, you can just Google uh, Generation Found Film or or Google the anonymous people uh, film, and and you can find links. And it's you know Amazon, Google, all those iTunes, you know places you can check it out. I, I think it's uh, if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth the watch. And and um, you know would love people's feedback and thoughts uh, if they have the time to to check those films out. Yes, I second what he's saying. Really powerful, really important films, especially as we continue this discussion. So, Greg, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I so appreciate it, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, doing the hard stuff. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's It's been fun, and thank you for what you're doing and, and spreading the word, and look forward to... Uh, uh, the next time we talk. Totally. Yeah, we'll have to get Ivana on too. The three of us could probably have some fun and some other advocates. So yes, definitely. Um, all right. And then friends, I will include in the show notes. I know we've talked a lot about how to get in contact with Greg and do some work yourself in your own community. So facingaddiction.org, it's, it's a network and it has a plethora of information it's it's essentially a hub and so whatever you need as it relates to recovery um and facing addiction right it's there for you it's one of the i think it's the most comprehensive um if someone has found something more comprehensive um i will you know do a contest for it but i i believe it's the most comprehensive uh website that i've come across um, that has all different ways that you can be in contact with someone should you be in need or should you want to um, add value. So there's that. Okay, so on to stories from Humans of New York. So it appears to be a parent and their child, and it says, I, I worry that one day she'll get separated from me and nobody will understand that she's deaf. And then a couple, and it says, uh, he said, she's always been very accepting and patient with my trust issues. I've always had a hard time getting close, but no matter how many times I doubted, she just kept saying, I'm not going anywhere. And then the final one is a woman that's in a wheelchair, and it says, I want to make life easier for people in China who have disabilities. I know what it's like because I lived in a Chinese orphanage until the age of 10, and I wasn't able to go to school because I couldn't walk. But that's just a small part of who I am. I want to be a diplomat and travel and do all sorts of things that have nothing to do with being disabled. I don't want people to pity me. I don't want to be another poor her. I don't want to inspire people. Inspiration is a word that dis disabled people hear a lot. And it's a positive word to you, but to us, it's patronizing. I'm not living a wonderful life for a disabled person. I'm living a wonderful life, period. This morning, I got accepted into the London School of Economics. Now, hold on. Let me put on some lip gloss before you take the photo. That's awesome. Mm. So good, right? Yeah, that was great. So, I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you, and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. 
So friends, thanks so much for your love and support. I really appreciate it. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it and review it. Again, this is the Type A Hippie podcast, SheCast episode 53. Look forward to connecting. I'm Chidima. Namaste.